Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with Scott Herr, product manager and lead designer at Tinder and author of Designing Products People Love. In this episode, we talk about how Tinder approaches design, avoiding awkward UI, and why customer research is the most important skill for designers. Enjoy the show. I'm here today with Scott Herf, product manager, lead designer at Tinder. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'd love for you to start by telling people a little bit about you and what your responsibilities are at Tinder. So I've been a product designer, uh, product manager type for about a decade now. Um, I got to Tinder through an acquisition about a year ago. We uh, were uh, backed by Kleiner Perkins and um, we had built a mobile app called Tappy. And I'd, I'd been with that team for about five years. We did everything under the sun, video sharing, direct-to-consumer video, e-commerce, in-browser, uh, real-time chat, it, you, you name it. So what was really interesting uh, about the past five years is that it's, it's really rode the wave of the technology spectrum from you know the, the evolution of mobile and learning those new paradigms after being in web for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been a wild ride. That's awesome. So can you talk a little bit about the acquisition experience? Because I think, uh, well, I know there are designers out there who who dream of building something and then being bought someday. Right. <laughs> um, the acquisition experience was um, and still is a learning process because you go from being able to handle a roadmap and um, make huge decisions very quickly mm-hmm. and uh, you know those those responsibilities and those um, powers, I guess, become filtered through the needs of another organization that you don't necessarily know much about when you get in the door. Hmm. And so it's it's stepping back and being really observant to what the priorities are, even if it's said that priority A is what we're thinking about the most. It may not be the case. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of understanding the dynamics of the team, what the organization is really facing. And I would advocate that if someone is in this case, in this situation, Mm -hmm. um, researching the customer as much as possible um, of the new organization, because, you know, you spent a lot of time thinking about your own customer and you're going to come in with biases. So it's kind of like leave all that stuff at the door and like really understand who you're serving with a new product. Oh, interesting. I mean, w- when you first said research the customer, I was thinking you were think uh, you were talking about the company purchasing. But oh, you're, right. You're talking about the end consumer. Yep. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, talk talk to me a little bit about what the culture's like at Tinder. Well, it's really fast paced. Um, it's it's a company that's uh, in the spotlight a lot, and so you know we're responding to things. We're building things to, to capitalize on how mm-hmm. people are using Tinder, um, you know, in their own way. And, you know, we, um, we make decisions through a process of experimentation. So there's a heavy emphasis on getting something working, whether it's barely functional iOS prototype, or it's, um, an envision prototype, you know, it, a lot of it, since since the the app and the product is so design and experientially focused, mm-hmm. that's kind of the language that that trumps everything. Talk to me about the how how Tinder as an organization approaches design. Sure, yeah. So design is really the uh, the number one 
beyond engineering and making it work, obviously. But design is such part of such a part of the Tinder experience. And it may not seem like that's the case because it's such a simple app, but that's only because it's everything goes through this distillation process and you have to really fight for real estate and, you know, your idea. And so design's really uh, a full contact sport here. You had to bring in all the big guns to make your, your case. And, you know, sometimes these can be really long debates, but they're good. They're healthy. They Mm -hmm. get the ideas out on the table. And a lot of times, you know, it's, uh, I guess I'd like to say that design really has has to uh, really be put through its paces to prove itself. Hmm. Okay. So talk to me, um, how many designers are there and what is, what is the makeup of the team like? Yeah. So there, the product team is about uh, five people, six people. And what's interesting is that we're, we're trying to grow really quickly. And so there's kind of um, a give and take on how we divide up product design responsibilities and mm-hmm. product management responsibilities. So, you know, there, there's a lot of engineering talent here and they need a lot of product to work on. And so it's a matter of like, how do we structure ourselves that we can give them thought through, packaged up, ready to go ideas and concepts, you know, while still working on, you know, hammering out the details in time. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, it's just give and take. And, you know, the whole company is actually kind of still making sure we're, we're finding our footing in the right places and getting the right talent in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So h- how many engineers are there just out of curiosity? I think there's about 40. Okay. So, you know, the ratio of engineering talent to, to product talent is really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're, wor- <laughs> you're working a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about what your uh, go-to tools are for design day-to-day i'm in sketch all the time but i'm also i i love ia writer Hmm. um and so whenever i'm working on a problem i'll just pop open ia writer full screen Mm -hmm. there's no formatting there's no distractions um and just writing down like okay what's the problem with this ui or this concept i'm working on what are the elements that have to go into it what you know pieces need to be on screen what are the flows etc etc and so from there, I'll copy that out and paste it just as unstyled text and sketch mm-hmm. uh, by Bohemian Coding. Mm-hmm. And um, what's great about that is it's really improved their their mirroring tools. So I can see what it looks like on my phone since we are a mobile app. So I'm working on that all the time. Really helps me figure out if the ratios are right, the the ergonomics are right. And then from there, I'll, uh, I'll either move into Quartz Composer Origami. Mm-hmm. or um, Envision. I've really picked up Envision lately. What's great is Origami and Sketch are becoming more integrated. And so I can just drop in and pull out layers and, excuse me, um, update the prototype in real time because we'll we'll gather around the monitor and um, we'll move buttons around or we'll change text and it'll update in the, uh, in the prototype without yeah. having to re-export stuff. Wow. Okay. So. Um I want to talk a little bit about your book. So you just finished writing Designing Products People Love, which is coming out next month. Well, maybe the end of this month, early January. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the process of putting that together. In particular, you had interviewed um, 20 plus designers, I believe, for, for the book. And I'd love to hear about any surprises through that process. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> interviewing that many people is really hard. <laughs> so that's, that's one. Um, two is that I was really surprised about how many people found inspiration creatively out, outside of technology. Mm-hmm. Nature, fiction, painting, you know, it's, it's these things that free our mind from the, the, what could be shackles of the, the paradigms we know and use and love every day and mm-hmm. getting outside of um, the well-worn grooves of what everyone else has done. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that something will be successful, but it does give you that headspace to to break out um, and to to see things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people like to uh, write down things in the shower. They got like scuba diver notepads, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Um, and you know, a lot of people found inspiration through their families, just seeing their kids use things and being you know this that, that childlike discovery and curiosity. Uh, and that's another thing too, like. All these people were really curious, very observant. And I'd say too that a lot of them were learned to fall in love with their customer. Even if it wasn't explicit, there was this yearning to really get to the bottom of why does someone do what they do in this situation and whatever methods or techniques they use to to get there, very empathetic. Hmm. And so that to me is one of the core tenets of a product designer where you don't become self-absorbed in, in your great taste or your uh, incredible experience you know you're you're still outwardly facing and very aware of people's emotions and tendencies and uh, problems mm-hmm. how did you decide on on who you were going to interview um i have been following a lot of 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 these people on uh, twitter and signed up with their email lists some were old friends mm-hmm. um some were friends of friends. And um, what really blew me away is, you know, this this whole process from start to finish took two years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. And I'm blown away by the the progression of their their careers, like collectively. They're doing incredible things. Ryan Hoover went on to start Product Hunt. Diogenes Brito went on to, uh, from Squarespace to LinkedIn to Slack. He was like number seven at Slack or something. Wow. You know, these stories are just really interesting. Uh, John Troutman co-founded Canary, which is an incredible piece of hardware and, and um, mm-hmm. you know, home security. So um, that's that's one thing that was a huge surprise to, to answer a previous question. Like, I'm just really proud of what they've, they've been able to accomplish. You picked some really interesting studies, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Unbeknownst and, and to and you at the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it certainly helped. Help me brain the book a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you talk about this this phrase "awkward UI" in your book mm-hmm. and on your blog too. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that is and provide a couple of examples, if you will? Awkward UI is that feeling you get when you're using a digital product and just something doesn't feel right. And I have been struggling on what to call that or even or even what it was. Mm-hmm. And it's. The example I use, because I use Apple TV a ton, um, is when I'm loading my my library, my personal library of movies or TV shows or whatever, and I select all titles or or whatever the the menu item is, and it just sits there blank, and there's no loader, there's no indication of activity. I think, oh man, there's been some fluke. I mean, I, and I do this every time. I use this a lot, and I still feel this way every time. 
like is the the, the internet down did apple like erase all my movies <laughs> you know you started to go through these panic modes and then oh there they are oh everything's fine and it just kind of snaps into place it mm-hmm. just appears out of nowhere and that's um it's not very as humans we need to see motion from start to finish you know things don't just drop into place um out of thin air um unless you're in star trek or something <laughs> and so um kind of led me down this path and and um i call this the ui stack where it's building on the idea um from way back when 37 signals now base camp mm-hmm. um wrote this great book getting real in 06 and it was a big influence on me and they they invented the three state solution where it was um, blank state, ideal state, and error state, I believe. But really, there are more. There's more to it than that, especially since mobile apps have introduced like physics based and touch based UIs. There's really, I think, five states. And the UI stack consists of those five states there's um, blank, error, ideal, partial, and loading. Mm-hmm. And so when a UI doesn't, a UI doesn't have those states, it feels weird. Mm-hmm. It, it presents you with a jarring feeling. And part of the whole premise of moving between these states is that you show the progression. You show the progression from blank to partial to loading and back and forth. You know, it's, it's a spectrum. They aren't pure modes. You know, they, the, the user moves between them freely depending on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that's my long-winded answer of what Aqua <laughs> UI is. It's, no, it's excellent. I, now that you've explained it, I can think about several experiences yeah, yeah. of my own where uh, you feel lost all of a sudden. Yeah, um, that's a great way to put it. I mean, it, it, it is lost. It, it is feeling lost. It's, it's negative emotion that's mm-hmm. generated, you know, unnecessarily. And these are things that can be easily mitigated just, you know, by thinking through a few extra steps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So in addition to working at Tinder and writing this <laughs> book, you also um, provide a, a bunch of training. Can you talk a little bit about what that involves. Yeah, so this was born out of my own realization that I really need to understand how to build more than screens. Mm-hmm. Because screens represent a work of art. They represent um what you happen to think of at the time. And if you don't put in the time to think about, you know, moving between the good, the bad, and the ugly you're going to come up with a solution that's not realistic. So I was trying to teach myself some prototyping tools and some code. And my friend, um, Chris Slowick, who's over at uh, this amazing firm, Creative Dash, they're incredible. Um, We both kind of realized that, man, it's so hard to figure out what to learn, how to learn it, how to speak the language in the context of design. And so... Once we had figured out the bits and pieces of those skills that we can incorporate into our workflows, then we decided, well, let's help out the, the community and you know, figure out a way to help people with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really how it came about. We've been blown away by the response. Um, we're looking at ways to expand that training because there's, there is a specific lens, a specific angle mm-hmm. that coding and prototyping has to take to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not, designers aren't just going to jump into the, you know, uh, Xcode <laughs> Swift documentation and be like, oh, well, awesome. This is totally makes sense <laughs> to me, you know. So true. It's interesting. We just finished up um, 
a salary survey, a design salary survey here. Oh, wow. And we're re- and the report and analysis is coming out. We're going to release it actually at the O'Reilly Design Conference. And um, one of the things that I wanted to find out is how many designers were actually prototyping because you're hearing more and more people say, oh, they need to learn. But mm-hmm. how many have, you know, and it still feels like the early days um, for the majority of, of designers for prototyping um, and coding, uh, which is interesting. And in the report, there's all sorts of salary info on what that gets you as a designer um, to earn that skill set. Yeah, yeah. Are you surprised by any of the results? Yes, yes. And I can say little more because I don't want any. <laughs> Big reveal. The, the, the big reveal. Yeah. So it's um, it's great to see you doing that. And, you know, the motivation, the inspiration being your own struggle to figure it out, which is um, always makes perfect sense. Um, so if you were to look into a crystal ball for 2016, <laughs> do you think there's a there's a a tool or a group of tools that are really going to grab the market share? Because it feels right now like a big party. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that. It's not quite the Wild West, but it's maybe like <laughs> 1900 or something. <laughs> um, the the tools that excite me are the ones that start to combine, um, which, which I think is the next phase, combining what were previously disparate uh, well, tools mm-hmm. so or individual tools. So I forget the name of this and I should know it, but it's essentially combining... Uh, UI design and some motion and some uh, custom animation tools into the same uh, same thing, mm-hmm. and so you're it's kind of, it kind of resembles Keynote in a way, hmm. where you can knock out your the UI and see how it works on your phone, and then you can connect up this button to that and have it transform, and it's all in the same place. Whoever can figure that out and make it an industry standard is going to win. And it may not be just one. Um, mm-hmm. I think Sketch is doing an awesome job of picking up where fireworks back in the day left off and very clearly defining a space where it's like, we're not photo editing. Uh, we're not illustration. We are UI design. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sketch Mirror, I love. I mentioned that earlier. Um, Bohemian Coding is doing awesome there. And they have this really interesting tool where you can share a local URL and your designs will refresh on in the browser and people can kind of basically spy on you and you know see what you're doing (laughs) um which is good and bad i think envision will continue to take off they're a really interesting case study and you know you don't need to be quartz composer to be a great prototyping tool um and i predict that quartz composer and origami will become a standalone facebook prototyping app it has to happen at some point Hmm. And maybe uh, maybe we'll get Apple's internal tool. I mean, I know that they're, they keep it on lockdown, but there have been so many rumors about how they create their animations and screensavers and all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm also excited to see what Adobe does after this switch away from Flash. Right. Um, you know, I know people seem to have a love hate with Adobe these days, <laughs> but they seem to be really kind of being honest about the state of, you know, the, the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they seem like they're trying to figure it out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you heard of, um, have you heard of Figma? No. Just out of curiosity. Okay. Um, a guy, a, a guy by the name of, uh, 
uh, Dylan Field is behind it. But um, anyway, you should check it out. Um, he's he's definitely going after the the Adobe market. Yeah, with his a, set of tools. F- FIGMA. Yes, yes, and they check just actually out. scored a bunch of funding in the last couple okay. of weeks. So. Yeah. So um, beyond prototyping, what do you think are going to be the next set of must must have skills for designers? Um, being able to interpret customer research and being able to actually perform it. Mm-hmm. I think that one thing I noticed w- with all the interviews, I mentioned that there is this hunger to get to the customer. And a lot of the times, though, the methods by which that was done weren't very good. They would taint a person's opinion or plant, you know, ideas that shouldn't have been and um, provide results that were incorrect or not true. And mm-hmm. this is a big, big, it's, it's the source of everything. It's why products exist is to find a customer. So if you don't know who that customer is, or if you are thrown off by whatever and going after the wrong person or group of people because of that, you're going to waste a ton of time and money. And I think that designers need to be able to at least detect if things were done or if research was conducted soundly. And if it's not, then to find someone that can can do that for them. Because I think that technology has kind of gotten a pass where we've uh, embedded in our culture this raise a bunch of money, burn the ships mentality and ship it, fail faster, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um and we've been able to get away with that because by this just sheer mass of the market, you know, there's so many devices coming online. There's so many potential customers out there. And I think it's led us to forget the practices of the past. Henry Dreyfus, for example, one of the greatest industrial product designers ever, like the Steve Jobs of the 30s and 40s and beyond, mm-hmm. um, made research and and actually sitting down and doing what his customers were doing part of his his routine um you know he, he invented the i love lucy black telephone and the radio thermostat and mm-hmm. just these staples of everyday life that you don't realize like wow someone thought through this and designed it and uh, it's a massive success hmm. um so research i would say is uh, the next set of skills excellent excellent so one final question for you and this can be anything what people or projects are grabbing your attention these days beyond what you're working on? I'm just blown away by um, concept artists for some reason. Hmm. Um, so Ralph McQuarrie is is the biggest example. He's the guy that basically determined how Star Wars would look. And um, they're still using his designs today. And just these massive, beautiful, optimistic landscapes and buildings and devices and ships and it's just kind of inspiring i put sid mead in there too and um another favorite of mine is daniel dosiu he uh did the covers for this great fiction series uh which is now a tv show at the expanse so just really great colors and compositions and you know they get you outside of the uh the typical uh you know at paradigms and just get you thinking bigger mm-hmm. yeah i'm thinking differently for sure yeah great Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly appreciate it. Thanks, Mary. I appreciate it. You can reach Scott through his Twitter handle at Scott Herf. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode.